0: Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week.
1: Touchdown
0: confirmed. Yeah! There was huge space news this past week as NASA's Mars Insight Lander successfully touched down on the red planet. It's the first robot to successfully land on Mars since NASA's Curiosity rover touched down in 2012. There's gonna be a slew of different things happening on Mars in the next couple of years. Other landers from the United States, things from other countries. It was a big Big moment in space. And this particular lander is not like other ones where they search for signs of life. The InSight lander is going to drill down into the crust of Mars to find out how the planet formed. And it'll have details that pertain to Earth as well, how these rocky planets formed. We spoke to Andrew Friedman, he's a science editor at Axios. And we started off by talking about what happens next now that the InSight lander has successfully landed?
2: Assuming that the craft is completely healthy, meaning that the solar array is deployed, so that it can get power and that it wasn't damaged in any way, then it's going to be doing something that no other NASA or otherwise probe has done on Mars. It's not looking for what you think it would be looking for. It's not looking for evidence of life. It's not looking for aliens. That might be a disappointment, but it's actually pretty cool. So it's drilling down deep into Mars's interior and trying to look for clues as to how Mars formed as a planet, which would give us clues as to how a number of other planets in our solar system, including Earth, may have formed and evolved over many thousands of years. From what they know about the evolution of Mars, they think that there's going to be a lot of clues that they can glean just from drilling down into it. It's going to take samples and basically store it in a compartment within the structure. The lander obviously is not returning to Earth. It doesn't have the fuel or the boosters to get off the planet. So it really requires either another lander to come and retrieve those samples, or what may be coming next, which is, human, possibly depending on what Elon Musk timeline of the day you believe, (laughs) or what NASA's (laughs) timeline may end up being. It's not actually that far-fetched right now for us to talk about, well, maybe one of the things that the first people on Mars might want to do is to go to something like this and retrieve the samples that it
0: collected. NASA spent about $814 million on this, but it was also a joint effort with France and Germany spending about $180 million to help uh, build the main instruments.
2: A lot of the times, projects like this are portrayed as American projects, but most of the time, scientific endeavors like this are almost never, at least these days, are, are almost never just one country. So, you know, we may spend the lion's share for a spacecraft like this, but... The Europeans are kicking in a good amount and are providing specialized instrumentation for the payload. So for certain equipment that they need to drill down or analyze rock samples that they're getting or work a camera, that sort of thing, that is something that they're doing in partnership with our European partners. Another thing that is kind of cool about this mission is they did this really interesting intricately timed dance where they launched two CubeSats, which are extremely small satellites. CubeSats are being launched by everybody from Silicon Valley companies to school groups launching CubeSats that go out via NASA rockets or SpaceX or someone else. These are the first two CubeSats to ever go into deep space. And their function was to be there at the exact moment that the Mars lander landed so that it could act as a radio relay to send a signal back to Earth that lets us know that the InSight lander landed successfully and is in relatively decent shape. It takes about
0: just over eight minutes to send stuff back from Mars to Earth right now. Yeah,
2: and these two CubeSats weren't setting up into a permanent orbit around Mars. They were really there just for this moment. Wow, It's kind of cool. It, it established a new record in terms of CubeSats uh, and CubeSat capability.
0: I mean, it's fun. Space news. This stuff is always interesting. But as you kind of alluded to earlier, Mars is that next frontier that everybody is aiming for. NASA has in orbit the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, Mars Odyssey, I think the European Space Agency has a couple things there. The Indian Space Research Organization has something, and then 2020 is just going to get even busier with another rover supposedly to land there. The European Space Agency and Russia again are going to launch stuff. So Mars is a subject of a lot of scrutiny right
2: now. It has been for a long time. There was not one, on the webcast today. There was one NASA engineer who said that there had been 17 landing attempts on Mars. Ten of them have been successful. And in terms of landing and operating uh, scientific equipment, so rovers or landers on Mars, the United States is the only country on Earth that has successfully done this, and we've done it multiple times. So now other countries which are increasingly looked at as players in space, particularly India and China, are both aiming there. And the European Space Agency is, is incredibly capable as well. I think that as well as Russia does, in terms of transporting astronauts and their folks to the International Space Station, I think that some commentators might be a little bit more skeptical that they'll succeed this time in landing on Mars, just based on their past record. But I don't know, they've got to have better luck sometime in doing this.
0: <laughs> Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. One of the craziest stories that was developing all week long was that of Sam Little. He was a man who had been arrested for murder. He was serving time in Los Angeles. He got a transfer to another jail in Texas and he struck up a relationship with a Texas Ranger there who was investigating some other crimes. And then he started singing. He started claiming that he had killed at least 90 people across the United States. Police started doing their due diligence. They were able to confirm his involvement in at least 36 different murders. He was sharing details about where bodies were found, uh, identifiers about the women. He targeted specifically a lot of women that were prostitutes and drug addicts, as investigators put it, people that nobody would miss. We spoke to James Quealy. He's a reporter for the LA Times, just for more on this bizarre story of a man who could be the most prolific serial killer in American history. And we start off by talking about just how we're hearing about him now.
1: Sam has made news before. Um, He's been in law enforcement custody multiple times in the past on some of the very murders he has now confessed to as far back as in the 80s. He was, you know, one of the killings he confessed to recently. He was arrested for in Mississippi back in 1982. Another one in Florida. He actually stood trial for a murder in Gainesville in the uh, mid to early 80s and was acquitted and has since confessed to that. You might be familiar with the name Sam Little if you're in the Los Angeles area as he was convicted of three cold case homicides here in 2014. But prior to that, he had never been successfully tried in the past.
0: How is he escaping so much? I mean, I know he was tried and he got acquitted. He had you no know, jail time before. I know he got caught in these last three murders that were related to Los Angeles. But before that, how did he evade justice then?
1: One of the main issues here is the length of time he is claimed to have been targeting women for. He began this killing spree by his own admission in 1970. And a lot of the murders he has admitted to took place in that decade or in the early 80s, You know, kind of predating these large-scale DNA databases where he might kind of come up as a pattern to police. You know, he predates the FBI VICAP system. And also, according to the FBI, some of these victims, the way they were killed, the way he attacked them was through a physical force. He would throw a punch and then often the deaths would be by strangulation. A lot of these killings initially were not regarded as homicides because he was targeting drug users. He was targeting prostitutes in many cases. A lot of the times, local police may have initially dismissed these as drug overdoses or other kinds of death suicides, but they didn't track them as murders first.
0: You talked about how some of the way he would kill these women, a lot of them were through strangulation. At one point, he was a boxer in his life. And from some of the autopsies and things on, on some of the women, they said that he punched with such force that he struck one of the victims in the abdomen and broke her spine at some point. But this was part of what he did. They, I think the FBI also said that he'd punch them and stun them and then uh, after that you know strangle them
1: yeah that was the wording they used that wasn't the method every time but it was always it was always physical force he was Pretty physically strong by law enforcement's description you know there were incidents in San Diego where he would kidnap a woman off the street and was you know strong enough to lift somebody up put them in their car render them physically incapable of fighting back pretty easily I don't I don't know about that specific detail you you mentioned about the punch that could have shattered or otherwise damaged a person's spine but he was a, if he was a competitive boxer and you know just given his size you would imagine that that would be believable
0: so how do we come to know of these 90 women supposedly that he's claiming Texas Ranger would- was doing a couple of interviews with him for cold cases related to his area and then he just started opening up and talking to him
1: he's been in custody in california since 2012 he was arrested by the los angeles police department's robbery homicide division they had matched him to three murders here in the 1980s based on dna evidence he was convicted in 2014 the conversations i've had with the investigator on that case little is definitely believed by most police that have interacted with him to hold a strong hatred for women and he has. At least the belief is he resented the idea that he was captured by a female detective in the LAPD and prosecuted by a a female assistant district attorney. So he had not spoken to investigators here for years, even though they believed he had committed a number of other killings, you know, survivors of attacks he allegedly committed in other states and other cities had testified at his trial. The ranger's office in Texas did start developing information on a killing from 1994 in Odessa, Texas, of a of a woman there named Denise Brothers. The ranger there and the FBI believed it fit the pattern of Little's other, you know, killings little had been suspected in, but never proven to have done. So that Texas ranger, James Holland, comes out here and meets with the LAPD investigators, meets with Mitzi Roberts, who's the detective who initially guided Little's capture. They kind of strategized how to go about this. And she suggested that he appeal to Little's ego, maybe take some shots at her since he had this loathing of her. And that kind of opened the floodgates for him, that and the agreement that he no longer have to serve prison time in California. He's now being held in Texas. And I believe the agreement he's reached with the FBI and the Rangers that he will be held there. I don't know what his particular disdain for California is, but from what I'm told, he was pretty adamant about wanting out of our state prison system. In September is when he just began giving up these details. As the FBI and other investigators have put it, he's not always giving names. He's not always giving exact times, but he's generally been giving what they see, seem to be uh, saying are accurate descriptions and accurate locations.
0: And that's how they're trying to corroborate killings in a lot of these other cities, is by using those descriptions. I mean, some of the descriptions are very accurate, and I think he's even drawing pictures. He said, I mm-hmm. you know I dumped the body under a pecan tree, and then they're going back and saying, we found this body under a pecan tree, and this time frame, and it matches. And that's that's how they're matching him all up. Some uh, investigators and police officers were saying that this is part of what he wants. He wants that notoriety or, you know, he just wants to be listened to. And he is the talk of the town. I mean, there's investigators from all over these uh, states and cities where he's been active that are going to interview him and, and trying to follow up and trying to connect all the dots now.
1: Right, and it's answering a lot of questions in in a lot of cities, especially a lot of places in the southeast. You know, I just spoke to Major in the Mobile Alabama Police Department a little bit earlier today. Mentioned that he had sent detectives to Texas to talk to Little on November eighth, so I guess about two, three weeks ago, and they came back with a confession and him giving up information that only the killer could know into thirty year old homicide cases they had. And as far as the information he's giving, there are times that he is exceedingly specific. You know, I talked to a retired LAP cold case investigator during the course of reporting the story out and there was at least one case. I don't honestly remember which state, but there was one murder victim where he had taken the woman out to dinner before attacking her and he described what they had and it matched the contents of her stomach in the autopsy. And this was a killing that took place 30 years ago. So oh. it kind of makes sense given what we're being told about him. He, you know, that he can't remember the names of these women, but he can remember what he did with them. It's almost as if he, you know, he's kind of dehumanized the person, but remembers the acts that took place around surrounding the crime.
0: The FBI has released a timeline now of slayings that they believe are linked to him if you google his name now and you go through you know local news reports now you're starting to see a lot of headlines that are saying sam little possibly linked to these deaths in this name your city here kind of thing, so it's p- being picked up all over the country now. And uh, now that the FBI has released this timeline,
1: yeah, I mean it's going to cause questions in in cases that may or may not have anything to do with him. Uh, you know, I've gotten a couple of emails and calls. I used to I used to be a reporter in New Jersey, and there's an unsolved string of murders of sex workers in that area from the mid 2000s. And if there was mention in the FBI report that he may have lived in New Jersey at one point. Instantly, there's there's connections there. It's going to be all over the place, and it's understandable that people are going to, you know, now that he's open and taking credit, that they're going to look at any any kind of murder that is anywhere in the phylum of what he says he did. You know, he could be at least under suspicion for. uh, And there's there's some concern on the part of law enforcement that he may be confessing to more than he's actually done. As you said, he confessed to 90. They've corroborated. Yesterday, the count was 34, I believe, with the two I mentioned in Alabama that I was told about today. That brings it up to 36. But, you know, there have been other instances in U.S. criminal justice history where people have Claimed credit for a lot of murders they did not do, like you said, for the sake of notoriety. Uh, you know, we're talking about a, a serial killer who's confessing in Texas. That's where Henry Lee Lucas once claimed to have killed 600 people and caused the reopening of nearly 3,000 homicide investigations in the U.S. And you know, he later goes on to admit that he was coughing up this information mostly parroting info he was given by detectives who were talking to him. So I'm not. That's not necessarily the case here. There's no reason to think that's what's happening. And the DA I talked to in Texas did say little has been, been being prompted. He's been volunteering information first rather than being shown cases. But there are definitely some people, prosecutors in LA, other places that are at least approaching this with kind of a cautious skepticism.
0: Let's go back to Los Angeles and talk a little bit about how he was eventually caught. The DNA scene wasn't so big when he was committing these crimes, but DNA did help put him in the place of these three murders that he was uh, convicted of.
1: The LAPD had reopened his case and several others back in 2012 just as simply as a result of a of a grant they had received, and they matched his DNA to one murder in 1987 and two in 1989. That was a large period of time that he was in California. Right before he came here, he had been arrested in the abduction and strangling, strangling of two women in San Diego, both of whom survived, but he was only sentenced to two and a half years in prison down there for false imprisonment. So he's he's matched on the DNA hits here for the killings immediately after his his prison stretch from the San Diego cases, and then he disappears for something going on 25 years. Once the DNA hits were made, LAPD knew that they who knew who they had, but it was they were having a hard time get, catching him. As we've mentioned in this conversation, you know he tended to float from city to city, with something of a transient, didn't really ever keep a permanent address or a job. You know he was shoplifting a lot, or stealing or robbing, just kind of finances, his movement you <laughs> What the LAPD did to finally catch him, actually, was Detective Roberts was, was going to these cities and trying to establish relationships with local law enforcement, trying to find Little. She couldn't find him, but she does end up finding out that he was using a prepaid benefits card. I'm not sure if it was an electronic benefit, EBT-type card, or a Walmart card, but something of that nature. She manages to get his account information and calls up the customer service line and you know does the whole, I, I forgot my account number or I lost my card thing, and they give her the list of transactions. He's made his last couple of transactions, and she managed to map that location pretty close to a uh, halfway house in Louisville, Kentucky, and had the marshals after him within a day.
0: Yeah, amazing cop work going into that and contributing to the elusiveness of all that. uh, Primarily, he targeted women that were prostitutes and drug addicts. One of the cops said women that people wouldn't miss kind of thing. So it was hard to uh, do full scale investigations on those. And just kind of painting a picture, you, you mentioned those women he attacked in San Diego. They were able to testify against him in the trials And just how bad a guy he was, the women said it was almost like a game when he would be strangling them, like taking them to the point of unconsciousness, then letting up and letting them catch their breath, then going back in it for it again.
1: The estimation by those who have dealt with him from investigators is that he definitely took joy in having having power over his victims, having power over life and death. So it tracks, unfortunately, with that horrible description you you just mentioned that he would kind of almost make a make a game of it, bring his victims close to death and then continue on. I don't know that he did that in every case, but there's certainly been discussion of that.
0: Well, I mean, it's good news that we're now starting to connect all the dots, hopefully provide closure for a lot of these open cases, cold cases that have not been worked on in a lot of time. And we'll see just what happens. He's like an elderly sick man now. He's 78 years old. He's in a wheelchair. He's already serving time. He's just going to be there for the rest of his life, it seems like.
1: Yeah, he, the FBI is saying he will not be leaving the custody of the Texas Rangers. He's going to be jailed there the rest of his life. There are other other departments do want to prosecute him for the murders he has confessed to. Prosecutors in Alabama want to bring him up on, on charges. They're seeking a grand jury on the two murders he's confessed to there. Uh, in L.A., the LAPD has also talked about if they're going to validate these uh, 15 additional murders he has confessed to here. That's in addition to the three he's convicted of. Uh, you know, he says he killed 15 women here in the 80s and 90s. They also would like to bring bring cases with the DA's office here, and it's a matter of, you know, will he survive long enough to even answer for those things.
0: James Quealy, reporter for the LA Times, thank you very much for joining Don't forget to join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts, I'm Oscar Ramirez and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.